Hello and welcome to The Deal Room, where every Wednesday we talk specifically about all things corporate finance, from the biggest M&A and PE deals to the strategy that drives business decision making. We aim to bring what you learn in the classroom to life with real world examples and hopefully at the same time have some fun with it. So let's dive in. Hello and welcome to The Deal Room. I am flying solo again today, but since it's August and since it's a time for reflection and slightly different speed of life, maybe you're on holiday, I'm just going to do a slightly different, very short podcast where we dive into a business that I think that every person that's interested in finance and every student that's hoping for a career in finance should know something about. We're going to talk today about the Japanese firm SoftBank and its flagship $100 billion Vision Venture Capital Fund. In this short episode, we're going to discuss the history of SoftBank and the creation of the Vision Fund in 2017, how the size of the fund fundamentally changed venture capital, and maybe not necessarily for the good. We work as a case study and a representation of this venture boom and subsequent bust, the impact of higher interest rates, the rate hiking cycle that we've experienced over the last 18 months, and the market drawback and the big losses that SoftBanks uh, suffered, and where this leaves us in the summer of 2023. What is SoftBank's strategy going forward, bearing in mind the twists and turns of the success and otherwise of the Vision Fund? So let's get started. The history of SoftBank and the creation of the Vision Fund. So it all started back in 1981 with a then 24-year-old Masayashi son, setting up SoftBank in Tokyo. Initially, the company was little more than a software distributor, but quickly launched computer and technology publishing organizations and magazines. It listed 13 years later at a $3 billion valuation. So that's in 1994. In the mid-90s and through to the dot-com bubble, uh, the company continued to grow, and Son continued to make investments in internet services, the new economy that everyone was so excited about in the mid to late 90s. This included a 1996 joint venture with Yahoo. It was around this time when SoftBank became a holding company, which basically means that it was set up in order to own a variety of subsidiaries underneath it, all consolidating up to a listed holding company, which was SoftBank. Soon after, SoftBank made what many people have described as the most successful venture investment, or maybe even just the most successful investment of all time, turning a $20 million stake in the then-fledgling Alibaba into an investment which turned into a $60 billion game. So $20 billion into $60 billion. And this is basically provided the fuel for Son's venture vision. Armed with that amazing windfall from one of the most successful tech companies and therefore one of the most successful investments of all time. Fast forward through a wave of technology acquisitions and disposals and we arrive at 2017 when it teamed up with the Saudi Public Investment Fund 
alongside other major investors, including Apple, uh, to launch the $100 billion vision fund. Now, $100 billion in various different contexts can either seem like an awful lot or not very much at all. We sometimes suffer in the finance industry by basically thinking that a trillion dollars is the same as $10 trillion, which is the same as $100 billion, and everything is just big and pretty fungible. But in this instance, and in the venture capital space, that is the funding of nascent early stage, often technology businesses, $100 billion <laughs> blew everything that we've ever seen previously in this industry out of the water. So this $100 billion vision fund, let's put this into context. So currently, one of the largest US venture capital firms, Andreessen Horowitz, has assets under management of around 36 billion dollars. So the entire firm with all of its funds and all of its all of its strategies only has 36 billion. In fact, the entire venture fund market in assets under management back in 2017 when the vision fund was launched was only 84 billion. So that just puts into context the wave of capital that's suddenly going to be flooding in to the venture early stage technology company market. So obviously, this is going to change the venture capital landscape. If you have $100 billion to deploy in a market size of only 84 billion, you are guaranteed to inflate valuations, right? There's lots of demand pushing in, in terms of demand for investment, demand to own slices of these companies, and the supply hasn't changed, right? The supply is still the same as when the market was only $84 billion big. So more money hunting the same companies results in asset price inflation. And this actually happened all the way from the most mature growth stage pre-IPO tech companies all the way down to the most nascent and even very, very uh, juvenile companies that have barely got an idea together started thinking, gosh, I need to get a pre-seed valuation, an early round valuation of upwards of $50 million. It all became a little bit crazy. Suddenly, therefore, rational valuations with reasonable terms from reputable venture capital firms were being trounced, stepped all over, squashed by the Vision Fund, whose initial minimum ticket size, minimum investment was $300 million. So just to, just to get off the seat, get off the bleachers, they, were, they had to invest at least $300 million. That limits the scale or that limits the uh, market opportunity in terms of numbers of companies that, that would take that $300 million that are big enough to utilize that $300 million without totally selling the whole company. But for the Vision Fund, $300 million is only 0.3% of the fund. So you've got, to, you've got to be thinking big and you've got to make pretty big checks when you've got $100 billion to play with. So the Vision Fund strategy was pretty clear. You've got to be the biggest shareholder in every high growth, high potential company from WeWork to Uber, crowding out smaller investors and pumping the company with so much money that they could in turn win in their markets through the sheer speed of scale. Blitzscaling is what uh, Reid Hoffman, the LinkedIn founder, call it. 
can I outraise my competitors in order to gain market share quickly enough that I effectively win in a market that benefits from economies of scale, from high gross margins, and from network effects? That's the strategy. So an investment strategy on backing the best startups and supporting them to achieve economies of scale and network effects tends to actually be the playbook of most established VCs. However, the sheer size of the vision fund meant that not only did the fund run out of attractive investment opportunities, 100 billion to the same amount of startups, the less that we talk about the vision funds, $300 million investment in WAG, the dog walking app, the better. But it also resulted in lots and lots of money, lots and lots of good money chasing after bad money. Enter scene left, we work. So now it's the summer of 2023 and WeWork seems to be teetering on the brink of bankruptcy. However, back in 2017, things were very different. WeWork and its charismatic CEO, Adam Newman, were on a mission to elevate the world's consciousness, as they said in their IPO prospectus, and bank some serious venture checks whilst they were at it. Son clearly saw something of himself in Newman, purportedly, this is crazy, purportedly investing $3 billion in WeWork after a 12-minute meeting back in 2017. So forget sober, rational venture investing, forget due diligence. <laughs> Let's just invest because I got a good gut feel about this. And I like the guy. I like the person that's selling me this dream. Initial very large checks were followed by even larger follow-on investments. And in the world of venture capital, this is how it works. In the world of venture capital, after an initial seed investment round, so the earlier stages of investing when a company's just getting off the ground, future, fu future funds and uh, future rounds follow the alphabet with series A being followed by series B and series C and so on. Most companies tend to sell, die or list by about series C or D, maybe the uh, the deep tech or the biotech companies would, would require a little bit more funding to get to what we would call IPO or exit maturity. Now, WeWork managed to make it to Series H. It's a long way through the alphabet, with Son topping up the Vision Fund's investments to a total, by 2019, of $17 billion. Despite WeWork failing to exhibit any of the attractive metrics, that successful scaling tech companies exhibit. <laughs> you want companies that basically need to get to some form of scale, and then they can start turning on the profit taps. Massively high gross, gross margin, very minimal marginal cost to another user because you're just selling them the same tech. You're basically turning, turning on the spigots and doing what you see in the most, you know, in the largest tech companies that we see today. We work wasn't like that. So with WeWork, Son and his vision fund had a couple of problems. Firstly, the way that fund performance is calculated relies on the relative change in valuation between private funding rounds. I, success is determined by an up round when a valuation goes from $10 billion in Series C to $15 billion in Series D. 
So for Son to acknowledge that WeWork wasn't actually worth more and more at every single funding round all the way up to Series H would mess up the fund's potential positive paper returns on, on investments. It's always marked to market and it's always positive. It's always paper returns. We're not seeing any of this in dollar form because they're not exiting their investments. In fact, by 2019, where uh, SoftBank was actually the only investor willing to cough up kind of $1 billion lifeline for WeWork, the company's valuation had reached $47 billion and was on course to being one of the world's largest IPOs. The second problem was that age-old sunk cost fallacy that we see across investing, right? Son ended up investing over $17 billion in WeWork, chasing a change in, well, hoping for a change in fortunes and hoping that the company is going to start finally turning a profit to achieve the high margin, high growth expectations of Son and the other early investors. By the way, the very early investors that well and truly got out at this point, selling their stake at a handsome profit to Son and to the Vision Fund. Uh, many analysts have looked uh, have looked to the fundamentals of a uh, company which tried to market itself as a tech company. WeWork was all about its tech platform and tech interface and, you know, is this the next trillion dollar company, but actually had the business model of an unsexy, cyclical office rental company. Pretty boring as justification. So <laughs> they started talking about things like, uh, so WeWork started talking about things like a community-adjusted EBITDA, which basically stripped rent out of its cost base to try and convince investors that it was actually making a profit. Whenever you start reading about adjusted EBITDA, earnings before interest tax, depreciation, amortization, you know the company's probably got a problem. So analysts maybe put down business fundamentals as the main reason for this company's descent from 47 billion down to almost nothing but maybe son might well be able to use covid and the subsequent rate hikes as an external unforeseen jolt exogenous force that has resulted in what was a very sensible early investment going south <laughs> and that may well be his explanation across the softbank vision fund portfolio Good opportunity to talk about what's happened in the VC market over the last 18 months. Keep that WeWork example in your mind. So VCs, as with private equity firms, any private markets investors, make their real dollar returns when there's an exit event on one of their portfolio companies. Often, actually, in the world of VC, only one or two big exits can make an entire fund. You know, if you've got a 100 exer, where one company makes 100, your initial, 100 times your initial return on investment, basically all the other companies you invest in can die and you'd still make the fund. So until the, exits, uh, until the exit, VCs monitor the value of their investments based on recent funding rounds. Collective incentive for valuation inflation, especially if a company's got multiple venture capital firms looking to do a follow-up. However, since the beginning of the rate hiking cycle, exit opportunities uh, from newly, ca uh, newly cautious corporate acquirers with high borrowing costs through to a closed IPO market has resulted in lots of mature venture-backed startups in need of their next shot of capital, but without an attractive enough exit. The result, 
an industry-wide series of down rounds where the valuation of the latest round of investment is lower than the round before. <laughs> Quite obviously, shooting it back to the Vision Fund, the pain has been most acutely felt by the Vision Fund. <laughs> the great startup valuation inflator. They inflated the asset prices, and when the market comes down, guess what? They are on the hook for a whole heap of down rounds. So this actually resulted in the, uh, SoftBank, which is largely now a representation of or a manifestation of the Vision Fund, just due to its sheer size. Uh, SoftBank's full year losses from March 2022 to March 2023 ballooned to $32 billion. $32 billion of corporate losses as valuations across its Vision Fund took a significant haircut. Down rounds, bankruptcies, down rounds, bankruptcies, $32 billion in loss. So a couple of examples, Swiggy, the Indian food delivery company, which saw its valuation slashed by more than $5 billion. Or Ola, the uh, Indian ride hailing company, being valued at less than its 2019 valuation at its late, latest funding round. So <laughs> kind of bringing this into land, hopefully we've taken you through the kind of arc of the SoftBank narrative and woven in a bit of WeWork, uh, which, by the way, <laughs> has lost 98% of its value. Uh, it was IP IPO'd through a SPAC merger, special purpose acquisition company in October 2020, and has subsequently lost 98% of that post-IPO valuation, which was 20% of the height of the valuation that Son and the Vision Fund put on it during Series H. It's basically written off $17, million, uh, $17 billion for SoftBank. So what's next for the Vision Fund? Bringing it into land. Uh, so <laughs> some green shoots are appearing with the company making its first quarterly profit in six quarters. It's done this by actually just doing less deals and reducing headcounts and feeling quite a lot of the pain last year by uh, entering into some down rounds and by consolidating and basically writing off quite a lot of the, the value of its portfolio. So actually, it's kind of coming out of the back of a horrible, horrible 18 months and starting to see some green shoots. Much depends on the success of the IPO of Arm, which it owns, which could net the company between 60 and $70 billion. And again, fuel the coffers for more venture investment, just as Alibaba did uh, a long, quite a long time ago. Either way, it's fair to say that Son and the Vision Fund will likely take a slightly less gung-ho approach to investing during the next business cycle. And I think that is what the entire venture community really hope for. So that's it. If you've got any comments on this deep dive on SoftBank and the Vision Fund, there's so much more stuff that we could have covered in this. And there's so much stuff that I only superficially touched on. So if you want, if you've got any questions, just drop a note on Spotify, the Q&A function. Or if uh, you want to engage in a conversation through LinkedIn, we're always up for a chat. Maybe you think that I've misread the story. Maybe you think that the Vision Fund is going to bounce back bigger, better and more bullish. Let's wait and see. So thank you for listening and we will return with a proper episode next week.